0: title of my sermon today is Go With God. I also have a subtitle called Shameless Prayer. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. The thing about earworms is they are insidious. They seem to pop into your head when you least expect it. For instance, uh, sometime before last Christmas, I was sitting one morning, sipping my tea, and munching on a $5 croissant. You can guess where I was. Whenever so softly, I found this song floating through my head... I was following the eye, was
1: following the eye, was following the eye, was following the pack all swallowed in their coats, with scarves of red tied round their throats to keep their little heads from falling in the snow. And I turned round and there you go, and Michael, you would fall and turn the white snow red as strawberries in the summer time
0: those of you who don't know, that's White Winter Hymnal by Fleet Foxes. It's kind of become a pseudo Christmas song. I'm not sure why exactly, but uh, um, it has. Um, But it goes on. And that one kept popping up in my head all the way through the Christmas season. Even Jingle Bells or Deck the Halls or Joy to the World couldn't totally eliminate this song from my head. Or Maybe, like me, you're in your car on your way to work or somewhere, and you've just yelled at some idiot driver for being so stupid as to try to merge in your lane when you should be plainly able to see this great big red truck already there. I mean, are you blind or stupid or what? And I hope your muffler rots and falls off in the middle of a funeral procession and
1: That one. As I went down to the river to pray, telling ye about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down,
0: down to the river to pray. So, my work here is done. Let me know next week how long it took you to forget that song. Um, Anyway, it's not only songs that has this effect, at least for me. I can only speak for myself, of course. But words sometimes do this as well. For the longest time, I had the word perspicacious in my head. And I never found a way to use it. I mean, it just doesn't come up where you would use a word like that. Um, Oh, and those of you who don't know what it means, it is having a ready insight and understanding into things. Uh, the word compendium just sounds good, and that runs through my head every once in a while. The Latin phrase, assumpsit carnem filium, he became flesh, the son. Uh, of course, that's from a song, several, actually, uh, as well. But most recently, the Greek word anaidea has been circling through my head. I came across this word in this week's gospel lesson. And you're saying, wait, I don't recall hearing Janet say that word. I would have remembered such a bizarre word. So, what is anaedia, you ask? Well, for starters, it has several meanings, but for starters, it comes from the Greek, and it is the name of one of two spirits, they called them demons. Uh, the Greek mythos called Hybris and Anaidea. Hybris is um, whose name, who, uh, from whose name we get the word English word hubris was the spirit of insolence, violence, and outrageous behavior. Her twin, Anaidea, was the spirit of ruthlessness, shamelessness, and unforgiveness. So you ask, again, Sam, what do these two unpleasant-sounding people or demons or spirits have to do with the gospel of Luke and Jesus? I'll tell you. In Luke 11, verse 8, the word that is translated as persistence in our version of the Bible or our translation of the Bible is anaadiyah which is literally translated as shamelessness. Literally. Ana means without, dia is shame. So, let's listen to the gospel, that section of the gospel lesson again. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you had as a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And the friend answers to him, Don't bother me. The door's already been locked. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And then Jesus explains that I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So a couple of things about our gospel passage. Let's put aside shamelessness for just a second. You notice how the prayer in the beginning of this passage is very similar to Matthew's, the Lord's Prayer, which we said earlier in the service. It's similar, but it's not exactly the same. Luke has a point of view that he's trying to put across about who Jesus was. And in this story, Jesus is focusing more on the down-to-earth concerns, such as bread for tomorrow and tending to a community formed by shared forgiveness. The line, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. That is that community of shared forgiveness. Luke is giving us Jesus' prayer as a more pastoral type of prayer, encouraging, encouraging us to pray more like a child would ask a parent for a dear need and desire. And this is a little unlike the example in Matthew, which is more of a, a, formal, a formal template, if you will, for prayer, though it can certainly be used as a prayer itself, and we do. But then after the prayer, Luke goes on to relate this story, this parable about the neighbor and his friend asking for bread. Though the neighbor has already secured his home for the night and is in bed with his family, Jesus tells his disciples that the friend, the neighbor will get up and give his friend the bread. Why, you ask? And Jesus Says it's because of his friend's idea, his shamelessness, that would get him up and give him the bread. Now, looking at this passage, substituting shamelessness for persistence is a little odd. For one thing, the friend only asks the neighbor for the bread once, so where is the persistence, which is implied a multiple requests? So how does Luke's Greek translators get persistent out of this friend's behavior? But really, shamelessness to our modern ears really doesn't do much better. But that's the key here, to our modern ears. The words shamelessness and shameless currently have several hundred years of negative moral baggage to it. The definition has been altered, as word definitions are apt to do over time to reflect actual, actual usage. And at this point in time, right now, shamelessness means a lack of shame over something that is socially or morally unacceptable, and there's also a sexual component to, at times, to the word as well. But the Greek definition of anadia was a little simpler; it was not that baggage. A idea without shame, without embarrassment, and there's no mention of social, moral, or sexual unacceptability. Yet, Jesus, through Luke's writing, uses that word in a way that tells it that it that tells us uh, really good writing. Sometimes, Sam, Um, (laughs) let's just see what the parable says in in that light. Jesus tells us that it wasn't friendship that made the neighbor climb out of bed, go to the kitchen, and unlock his door to give his bre- friend the bread. It was his shamelessness, a boldness, an automatic assumption that the friend had, trusting that his neighbor and trusting in their relationship to not break the expectations of generosity that were the norm for the time of that, that time of day. Even when most people are already in bed, And when it's most inconvenient, Jesus said that this boldness, this shamelessness, this expectation of friendship is what will cause him to get up and give his friend the bread. And Jesus goes on to tell us that that shamelessness is exactly how we should approach our Heavenly Father. Just as we probably approached our parents knowing that they loved us secure in the conviction that they loved us and would if they could grant us our request for our needs i mean have you ever had a child come up to you stand there facing you looking you in the eye and say and tell you they want no they need a tank for christmas or a horse or an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and the thing that tells time? Now, these things aren't actually stuff that they really need. We know that, and we, as parents, do our best to explain this to them and teach them the difference between something they need and something they simply want. But here, Jesus is inviting us to approach our Father through prayer as though we are like children like the children I mentioned just a second ago. Confident, secure in the knowledge that he loves us, and emboldened to shamelessly ask him for what we require. This isn't about the mundane, what, where, and when. Important though those things are. And this is not about us getting things from God. It's about the relationship that we have with God. God. Asking God for things he already knows we need, but being emboldened, shameless enough to ask him anyway. And knowing that this relationship we have with God will bear having to ask for those things and may even depend upon them being asked. He goes on to say, to re-emphasize this point, For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. One of my favorite authors, Annie Lamont, says in her book, Tender Mercies, that the best two prayers are, help me, help me, help me. The second one is, thank you, thank you, and thank you. I think Jesus might agree. For in his words to his disciples and to us now are an invitation to honesty and candor. It is the honesty and candor that comes from intimacy. Where an oversensitivity to each other's feelings is put to the side. Not out of contempt for those feelings, but from trust. This should define this relationship, our relationship with God our relationship with each other more and more this should compel us to this relationship with god it is an intimacy to be shameless before him not in the the sense of acknowledging our continued sins but in the same way that as children we could see our earthly parents love for us no matter what we did or said and as an earthly father I certainly would not have given my child a snake when she asked for a fish, nor would I give a scorpion if he had asked for an egg. But then he says, Jesus speaking, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And if I know that, if I can be before God and ask, even though I'm a sinner, for what I need, and I can only imagine the good that God will bring to me. Maybe even an earworm to distract me from my trouble. It may not be everything I ask for, but it will be what I need. Give us our daily bread, indeed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, Amen.